Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi alongside me today. We got the Shark Taylor making his final trek back from Europe. He is stateside, actually, at O'Hare. Uh, he's got to get back to Phoenix. But he will be giving us a full review on the European airports as well as some of the domestic ones that that he got. And we got to bring that back, Shark. I know you're you're a very well-traveled man, but Taylor's going to give us a review. So looking forward to that. But I do have the Shark here. We're brought to you by the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the week, it's Sean Van Zant, former guard for the Butler Bulldogs, six-foot diminutive, very streaky, very uh, a slashing type of point guard. I like Sean Van Zant, but he is your college hooper of the week. We're brought to you by Royal Digital Marketing, excuse me, aka RDM. RDM specializes in website development and digital marketing for small businesses and startups. So if you need a website, contact them at Colin at RoyalDigital.co. That's C O L I N at RoyalDigital.co. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is and make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. Awesome, awesome episode upcoming and a great interview with Maine Celtics head coach, Alex Barlow. If that name rings a bell, it should. He was a four-year player for the Butler Bulldogs. He played for coach Brad Stevens, also played for coach Chris Holtman. Some of these stories, Shark, some of these stories that he gave us were, were, were truly, truly incredible. Any takeaways, any thoughts from that interview with Barlow? 
one takeaway from the beginning, you mentioned Alex Barlow. If you don't know, if you don't know Alex Barlow, then you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. I mean, he, he was an icon of the mid 2010s at Butler classic Butler guard. Um, you know, the, the interview was outstanding. He takes us through his whole journey. He was a, he was a preferred walk on. He played for Brad Stevens. He was in huge March madness tournament games. He was a part of a massive upset. He hit game winners. Um, he built skyscrapers. I'm, doing the Mr. Deeds poem at this point. It wasn't quite uh, wicked good at doing stocks, all that sort of stuff. But he, he, it was a great interview. Barlow was outstanding. Um, you know, so you, we're slowly putting together a phenomenal little roster of outstanding college basketball players currently in the game, after the game, maybe getting back in the game. This has been great stuff. Absolutely. And we have had an array of, of guests come onto the program this summer. All have been so, so genuinely nice very accommodating, responsive when I'm annoying the hell out of them. Alex Barlow might be the nicest person I've met in this space. And I obviously haven't physically met him. This was all over video chat, but you can just tell how excited he was to be on the, on the program, share his stories. Like I said, he was incredibly responsive. He's just clearly a genuinely nice, nice person. And I feel like that's the, the takeaway with Brad Stevens. He seems like you're, your reliable neighbor next door. That's how I would describe both Brad Stevens and Alex Barlow. And I'm sure there is some sort of pass down effect from Brad to Alex. So we want to thank uh, coach Barlow for jumping on and we'll get to that here in a little bit. Yeah. One more thing on that point. I mean, he gave one of the the best answers that you you can, you know, oftentimes you can ask these guys questions and they're going to give you almost an expected answer. Uh, The question as to, Hey, why were you so successful? And it was so simple. It's just, I, I just want to win. I just want to win. He doesn't have to stuff the stat sheet. He doesn't have to do anything else. He was all about just winning games. And you, when you watched him play, it was very much in line with that. Who cares how many shots he had? Who cares how many points he had? Who cares if he had a lot of turnovers? It didn't matter. He made winning plays. And that's really when you distill down a lot of these college basketball legends that are, you know, helping teams advance through tournaments or, you know, on big stages frequently. It's because they have that common denominator quality of being a winning player. And that's what you want in a head coach. So I think he's perfectly entrenched at the right spot right now. Um, and yeah, I was just very impressed with that answer. Very much looking forward to seeing how that G League team does for the Celtics, the main Celtics, as of course the Boston Celtics get their first win of the season against the Sixers on opening night there Tuesday. NBA season is upon us, but so is the college basketball season. A couple more weeks and we are going to get into all of that here with Coach Barlow. So without further ado, Let's welcome in Alex Barlow. All right, we are fired up to welcome to Theater and College Hoops a two-time Big East Scholar Athlete of the Year, the runner-up at the 2015 College Three-Point Competition, a 2015 Sports Illustrated All-Glue Team member, and the head coach of the Maine Celtics. We got former Butler basketball player Alex Barlow joining us today. Alex, thank you so much for jumping on. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Anytime, anytime. Hey, great win for the Celtics in their opener. Where, where were you watching? Uh, strong performance from the Jays. What were your initial yeah. thoughts? Yeah, so we had a staff dinner um, up here in Maine. We get started Monday. So um, staff went out to just a local um, American pub and, and ate some food, watched the first half. Um, then I came back and watched the second half, but thought it was good. Um, thought they played well. Um, 
thought the Jays looked good. Malcolm um, thought guys like Noah Blake came in, gave good minutes playing against Embiid. Um, as well as we played, I think there's a lot of things you know we can do better. Um, and I'm sure you know Joe, Joe and the staff is harping on you know it's one of 82 regular season games, and you know we have a bigger picture, bigger goal in mind. But good start. Always good to start one and Yeah, always good to start one and Always good to get a division win. But there's a little something extra, at least for the yeah. fans, when it's against the Sixers. So a lot of fun there on opening night. Beautiful intro as well uh, from the poet laureate. Her name is escaping me, but Jalen Brown delivering some very impactful words as well on on Bill Russell. So it was a lot of fun. But let's go ahead, dive into your experience at Butler get some stories from you. So first and foremost, you walked on at Butler and now you're coaching the main Celtics. Okay. Yeah. Have you taken the time kind of to appreciate, take a step back and appreciate how insane this trajectory and this ride has been for you? Yeah, I have, honestly. Um, you know, I really thought that summer, my June junior year, um, going into my senior high school, I really thought I was going to play college baseball. Um, so, you know, thinking about where I was, you know, playing in all over the country that summer for baseball and to where I am now, like it doesn't seem, you know, like it was supposed to happen that way. But um, I knew I always wanted to play basketball and I knew I was going to have to walk on somewhere to do that division one. Um, and then, you know, obviously got the butler and then everything kind of fell in place. So, Alex, I read an article about you in the uh, Cincinnati Inquirer from a couple of years mm -hmm. ago. Uh, you got inducted into your basketball high school, your high school basketball hall of fame, Moeller high school. Yep. And in that your coach said that you were probably the most famous Moeller basketball player to average less than 10 points per game while you were mm -hmm. in high school. You went on, everyone would know who you are. You were the scrappy guard on Butler yeah. sub six feet, right? Yeah. Would you walk, work with me on that? Sub six feet average yep. less than 10 points again. So what is it about your game that made you so successful at every stop that you had? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I think a lot of it's just like I just wanted to win. Um, I think a lot of people say they want to win and will tell everybody they want to win. But like truly, the only thing I really ever cared about was winning. Um, I never cared about how many points I scored, never really cared about any statistics. Um, I just did whatever I thought I needed to do that game to win. Some games it was I maybe had to score. Some games it was maybe I had to get rebounds. Um you know, some games I had to distribute more, pick up dudes full court that, you know, we weren't accustomed to doing. Like, I just really didn't care. Like, whatever the coaches said they thought I needed to do to win that game, um, I was going to do. Um, so, I mean, really, like, in high school, there would be games where I had to shoot. Other games where it was like, hey, I got to get everybody else involved. Um, and then when I got to college level, it was a little tougher for me to try to score. I just, you know, obviously wasn't um, – as good of a score at that level. Although I do think I averaged more points my senior year in college um, than I did as a senior in high school, but um, that was really that. And I, I think sometimes people underestimate just like, you know, that matters. Like coach Stevens used to always say like my, you know, how much I care and how much winning matters to me, like is why I was able to do some of the things I did. It's pretty incredible talking with some of these guys in college basketball. We just had Coach Grasso on, uh, head coach yeah. at Bryant University, and he was talking about a, a transfer that came in, Doug Edert. And the first thing he said, all he talks about is winning. That's yeah. all he cares about. And it's clearly a, 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 a trait that leads to success. I want to know, though, can you dive in depth with us? 
Give us mm-hmm. the full detail on what that walk-on process looks like and looks like for you at Butler. Yeah, so um, going going in my senior high school, um, I just like I didn't I didn't want to play baseball. I just was like I don't want to do this for the next four years. I can't do it. Um, luckily, Moeller has sent a lot of kids Division One. Um, my high school coach, Coach McDonald's game. He's very well known. Knows a lot of people. So I basically him and my dad sat down and I was like, Hey, I want to play division one basketball. Um, ideally I want to get a scholarship, save a lot of money, but I'm willing to walk on. My parents are like, Hey, you know, we'll support you if you want to walk on somewhere. And Butler was kind of always at the top of my list. Um, I just felt like it was a great school, a great fit. Um, and I did my homework. I I looked at places where walk-ons had been given a chance to play. So I wasn't going to go somewhere where I was just going to sit the bench for four years, no matter what I did. Um, so I, I took some visits to, you know, division two schools, um, just didn't really love any of them. There was actually one school that back in my junior year that offered me division two, they were two and 26 that really started my interest in like, ah, maybe I can play college basketball. Um, so basically my high school coach called Brad and was like, Hey, I got a kid that's interested in walking on. Um, we had sent Mike Monzere, um, to Butler in the late, I don't know, the early two thousands. And, Brad was like, Hey, you know, I'm interested. Um, send me some film, try to get over and watch them. I don't know if Brad ever actually watched any of the film. I don't believe Brad ever came to one of my games. Um, and come to find out, um, Mike Monzere, who, who was really close with Brad that played in my high school and his father, Marty called Brad on my behalf. And I didn't know this until after I got to Butler, they called Brad and was just like, Hey, look, I don't know if the kid will ever play for you. Um, but he'll help your program. Like, He's just a tough kid that's just going to do whatever you ask. And I went on a visit to all these D2 schools and met with like every assistant coach. And then I'd get 15 or 20 minutes with um, the head coach at the end. And when I went over to visit Butler, it was two, two and a half weeks after they lost to UConn. And I met with one coach and that was Brad. Brad took me around for my visit. Um, I sat in the office with Brad and my dad and asked questions. Um, And on the way home, I told my dad's where I wanted to go. Um, I didn't have to try out or anything. I was a preferred walk on. Um, and then I just showed up in the summer. Like I was, you know, on the team um, as part of the team and, and then went from there. What a story shark. I'll let you dive in here in a second, but so much of when Gordon Hayward came to the Celtics was made of the reunion between yeah. Gordon and Brad. I think this is a more compelling story. I mean, you got people calling on behalf of you to Brad Stevens, a man you've yeah. never met. You end up playing for him. And now you're in the same organization. Uh, what? 10, 10 or so years later, that's honestly mind blowing. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it really is funny how it kind of all worked out. Um, you know, if you would have told me that I would have played at Butler, ended up working with the Celtics, you know, June 1st or whenever I, I went to Butler for my first day, I would have been like, yeah, okay. You're a little crazy. Um, but you know, it, it just worked out so well. Everything kind of fell into place and, and I'm you know really lucky that it kind of did. You mentioned the fact your, your baseball career. I want to give you credit. Yeah. You actually, at least from my research, it sounds like you yeah. hit five five thirty two your senior year of high school. Which yeah. I, mean, I mean, you're raking over there at that point. But there must have been something about basketball. What what was it? I mean, did you and your buddies growing up you just love college basketball? Were you super into March Madness? Were, were yeah. you like losers like me and Subi over here, where we just get obsessed with everything? Tell me about it. Yeah, so um, I basically played baseball year round since the time I was eight. Um, and some of my best friends to this day are guys I played with 
baseball when I was younger. Um, I was just, you know, best man at a wedding for a kid I played with when I was eight, eight years old starting in baseball. And we've been best friends ever since. Um, but yeah, I always loved basketball. Like, uh, my parents have season tickets to university of Dayton, which is an unbelievable atmosphere. Um, you know, so I probably went to pretty much every home game for time. I was five till the time I was went to high school and then went to as many games as I could. My first couple years in high school, obviously love March madness. Um, I, I just love hoops. I love, I loved college hoops at that point. You know, I barely watched the NBA. I mean, I always watch college hoops, you know, big Monday, you know, the ACC Wednesday, um, you know, the Carolina Duke games, all everything. And I wanted to coach. Um, I knew that from a young age. I wanted to coach basketball. And then I just felt like, hey, like if I want to get into coaching and I don't really want to play baseball um, anymore, I'm just kind of burnt out of it. Best thing to do is to to get in, into college basketball and start working my way up the ladder. Cosign on UD's arena. Have you been there since – I think they had some renovations – last couple of years I, I was at the uh flight deck this was pre-covid yep. i yep. saw i think i saw obi Toppin uh get one of the most graceful rebounds and athletic rebounds i've ever seen uh yep. that is it is an amazing arena i i haven't been back um i mean we played there my sophomore year um it was actually a game where i don't know if you guys remember rodney clark hit his head on the basket and he like couldn't move they thought he was paralyzed um he ended up missing a couple weeks um so I played there. It was cool because my parents got to sit in their season tickets um, that they still have. Uh, but I actually haven't been to a game probably in the stands since senior year of high school. Uh, but my my mom, my dad, my uncles, my brother, cousins, they all still go. Um, I don't think they'll ever get rid of those season tickets. I really don't. They, they love Dayton basketball. The the community of Dayton really loves them. And they got a really strong team coming back. Shark, Deron Holmes watch out for that name, but I'm glad you segued to Rodney Clark. Some of those uh, Butler teams. Mm-hmm. I was looking at some of the games that you guys were able to play. And I think I really want to focus in on, first of all, the tournament. Okay. Yep. The crossroads class, or well, not the tournament, excuse me. Let me take it a step back first. Yep. Crossroads classic. Yeah. Jordan Halls is on you. Yeah. You drive left, you spin little floater yep. with, with about two seconds to beat the arch rival Indiana. Like you're Tony Parker in the lane. Yeah. Barlow, seven seconds, starts to drive inside, spins, right hand up, it bounces around, it drops in with 2.3 to go, NIU takes a timeout, holy cow, the walk-on sophomore Alex Barlow with a drive and the finish and the dogs lead by two. Take us through that whole sequence. Take us through uh, any stories that, you know, in the, in the huddle prior and afterwards, because you mentioned Rodney Clark, you had a great embrace yeah. after you hit that. Take us through that moment. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I remember, I, I think there's some articles on, on this, but I just remember for the game, you know, I always talk to my dad, my mom, just check in. Um, and my dad was just like, Hey, it's another game. So my mentality was like, it's another game. Like there's still 10 guys, you know, two hoops, one basketball. Like, um, you know, I normally never really noticed the crowd. It's kind of just, I just kind of am able to zone it out. Um, what I remember a lot about that was I just, I had, I didn't really play that well. Um, most of the game, I, I don't even think I played that much, um, but we got in some foul trouble, um, took the lead late. Um, Yogi hits the three to tie it up. And then I just remember, like, I passed the ball in bounds. We get we get a dribble head, chase the ball, shoots a three, and I was like, man, this got to go in because it's going to be hard as hell to win this game in overtime without, you know, arguably our two best players that night, um, Andrew Smith and Rose Jones. He misses it. I crash in, tip it. I think I, I was like, 
I think I make this. Like I'm thinking I'm making this tip in. It's like not even close. Um, and we go to overtime and I remember we get up four or we get down four, excuse me. And to me, it's still the best shot I've ever been a part of. Um, miss a rebound, uh, miss a shot. We get the rebound. Rotney comes offense rebound. Rotney comes flying in from half court. Chase DeGaulle hits him at like 30 feet and he lets it fly as Vic Oladipo is flying at him. I mean, just insane. Bam. I'm like, shit, we needed that. Like we really needed that. Um, then we hit a three, go up two. Um, I think I came out of the game, if I remember correctly, because uh, we put in Cam Woods um, to guard the ball, and, like, Zeller ends up scoring pretty easily. And there was, like, a wet spot on the floor. And they just they stopped the game. And, obviously, in college, you can sub back in during that, and Brad puts me back in. Um, and, then, and then this is about all I remember from this. We call timeout because we can't get the ball in. And Brad's like, hey – Whoever Jordan Halls is guarding, um, you bring the ball up because everybody else was, I mean, just ridiculously hard to bring the ball up against. And so Jordan Halls is guarding me. I get the ball, and I just remember running some type of action, and nothing was open. Like, they switched everything. We looked like we weren't going to get anything. And then I was just like, I got to go make a play, um, which at that point in time really wasn't my strong suit. But the one thing I practiced a ton were floaters, like – shot a ton of floaters because I really couldn't do anything else. And I just drove in the lane, shot it. And I, I swear I missed it. Like it was such a bad, bad shot. Felt terrible coming out of the hands. Um, and it bounced around and went in. And then honestly, after that, I don't remember much. I, I know, you know, watching it back, I big fist pump, Rodney hugs me. Um, and then when all I was thinking was, please just don't hit a three to, for us to lose. Like this would be absolutely devastating. Um, and then it was, it was way off target. And then after that, it was just, it was just mayhem. You know, the 2000 Butler fans are going crazy. And like the 12,000 IU fans are just silent. Um, I mean, it really felt like an away game to be completely honest. So I just remember like, man, Brad's putting the ball in my hands. Like, I'm not sure I would do that, but I guess it made a lot of sense with, you know, the personnel out there. I think that was top ranked Indiana too, at that point. Right. Yeah. They were, um, were they, one? they were number one, undefeated. Um, ended up with two, two of the top four guys in the draft that year with with Cody Zeller and Vic. Um, so it, it it was, I mean, it was a big win. We we kind of propelled us, you know, going forward for for the rest of the season. Certainly a monumental one, and that's that's you know the story of Butler. When you think about the culture of Butler basketball, you guys are always involved in tournament runs or huge wins or unexpected, I, yeah. I guess success is one way to mm-hmm. put it. You can go all the way back to the Gordon Hayward run when they went back to the title against uh, Duke. When you're on that team, and this was kind of a coming out party for you, but mm-hmm. is there almost like a, a instilled confidence knowing, hey, look, we play for Butler. This is what we do. We're going to hang around in these games. We're going to find a way to win at the end. You know, we could be playing as, you know, Kansas State or some, you know, some Washington yeah. State or one those are loser programs. Kansas State's a terrible example. But, you know, we know at Butler, we are going to find a way to churn this out. Do you guys have that confidence when you're in a huddle? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I think, you know, that game we just kept telling ourselves, like, just find a way. Like, didn't matter who was on the court. Didn't matter that they were so much bigger than us, um, so much more athletic. Like, it just it didn't matter. We just said, hey, we just got to find a way. And I think a lot of that was, you know, having Brad in the huddle, um, the rest of that staff who, you know, 
two of them are, have been or are now head coaches in college. And Terry Johnson, who is the third one, has been at Ohio State and Purdue and is, is should be a head coach, you know, this season. Um, I think a big part of that was also the coaches. Like you just – you knew – Brad was going to have a great game plan. You knew Brad was going to make the adjustments. Um, you knew as you saw the Celtics, anytime he got the whiteboard in and got to draw something up, you were going to get a good look. Um, so yeah, we never like really expected to lose games. Like we always expected we were going to win. Um, sometimes circumstances made it even tougher, uh, but there was never like a doubt that we couldn't win games. You've been a part of some amazing games. I was looking at yeah. your your career and really going in depth into some of the games that stood out to me. And so what I'm going to do, Alex, real quick, if you don't mind, I'm going to build you yeah. up just to bring you down based yep. off of one opponent. Oh, I know where you're going. Yep. Which team am I going with? Well, are you going to where I traveled with Gonzaga? Is that where you're going with this or no? I'm not. Or Marquette in the tournament. Bingo. Okay. I'm going to go with Marquette. See, this is a very sharp individual, Shark. Yeah. Uh, you had two great games against Marquette. I believe it was yep. your senior year. Keep me honest there. Rodney Clark hits a game winner in Maui. Uh, a game winner. That was year. your sophomore year. Yep. Thank you. But yep. Rodney Clark, you begin the season in Maui against Marquette. Electric yep. game. Yeah. And then you, you you end your season uh, against Marquette, which was another crazy game. I think they only won by two. Take yeah. us into those games. Was there anything entering that tournament uh, sort of saying to yourself, hey, we've beaten these guys, but that was so long ago. Just give us some detail there in that Marquette uh, rivalry, I suppose. Yeah, so the, the Maui game was was insane. Um, I think if, you know, you guys watch a lot of basketball, you, you see the play now where teams will set up like a cross screen, they throw it over the top, and then they pin in for a three. Like every team runs it now. It's like universal late game play. So we ran that in practice leading up to the Marquette game. And we didn't get a shot off. Um, like it didn't even, it didn't even like work really. Like we didn't actually execute it. And I just remember we came back to the huddle and Brad's like, Rodney, how open were you? And Rodney goes, coach, I haven't been that open all year. So we're playing Marquette Maui down three, Brad draws it up. We're in the huddle. Like, all right, we're going to get a wide open look, get a wide open look. Rodney misses it. But like, I'm over there thinking, damn, but we tip it in. We end up being down one. They're going to the line, shoot two. I think we're out of timeouts at that point. They make the first, miss the second, and Rodney's like struggling to get the ball up. And it's like, gosh, I wish we had this timeout. He just heaves one and then makes it. It's like, holy cow, like Maui hit that shot. Like, you know, we all grew up watching the Maui invitation. Like, this is awesome. Um, but we knew they were like a really tough opponent. So when we got to the tournament, we saw them in our bracket. Um, we saw IU in our bracket, who we who we'd already played as well. They were the one seed. And we thought, hey, like this is a favorable draw. Two teams we played, two teams we've, you know, beaten. Uh, we can make a run at this. You know, we got to take it one game at a time. And, uh, you know, Bucknell gave us some challenges. Uh, Marquette played Davidson, I believe, after us. And Davidson should have won the game. I mean, we were there like, come on, come on, Davidson. Like, pull this out. Um, but then we knew when Marquette won, it was going to be a battle. And, uh, you know, it was back and forth. I think we were up early. And then, you know, they made some adjustments that we struggled with in the second half. And, you know, it was a tie game. Are we up three? And I helped out of the corner on Vander Blue, which, you know, multiple of my former teammates and or coaches still remind me of that um, because I should have never helped out of the corner. We would have won. But um, tie game, I think the ball rolls out to me with like 50 seconds left. And, I mean, I had barely made any threes all year, but it felt good leaving my hands and I missed it. And, you know, if I could have one shot back in my college career, it'd be that one. Um, and then they called some bogus over the back foul and they went down and, we ended up, you know, crazily getting a chance to win the game. Um, 
But going back to the play Brad and Rand and Maui, he had kind of already used it, and there was no way he was going to be able to use it again because um, they were sitting on it. So we ended up getting not as good of a look as we did in Maui, and you know ultimately didn't you know didn't score and ended up losing. And then I think Marquette made the Elite Eight, lost to Syracuse um, that year, and it was just like man, we that could have been a year we made a run, got back to the Final Four. If, you know we'd beat Marquette. I think the coach on the other side would have been Buzz Williams at the time, right? There, there's no way he would have forgotten that play. So you weren't getting correct. Yeah. Correct, we weren't. And, and they had, I believe, they had come out in zone maybe the previous timeout, and so Brad drew up both a zone and a man play, and it just, I mean, it was a great job by Buzz messing us up the time before because then I think he came out in man, and we had drawn up the zone play first, and then the man play and. So it was really good by him, but we, we ended up getting a, a look for three to win it. Just didn't go in. That's the game right there. You mentioned a couple of things in there, and I, I want to ask this question. I, I, yeah. I have weird questions surrounding the NCAA tournament. You were talking about yeah. how you guys were watching your previous opponent. Yeah. I don't want to say rooting for Davidson to pull it out. Yeah. I, I've always wondered kind of what well, – let, let me ask this one. Do you guys have a preferred time slot? to play in the NCAA tournament? Do you, do you, when the bracket comes out, you're like, oh, crap, we got that 4 p.m. Yeah. Eastern one. Nobody cares about it. Obviously, there's another one that Subi, I see him licking his lips over there, about ready to ask about the Notre Dame game, which is towards yeah. the end of your career. That was, yeah. you know, prime time. I believe it was, yeah. it was a Saturday night, if I recall correctly, late. Yeah. Everyone in the country is watching that thing. Yeah. I'm sure there was a lot of buildup for it. But when you're actually entering the tournament for the first time, are you hoping for that noon one? Are you hoping for kind of – you know, a, a primetime game. What's it like? Yeah. I, so for me, I, I don't like playing early. I mean, I, throughout my career, I didn't like like anything before too. Um, but I, I mean, we played Bucknell. I think we were the first or second game of the entire tournament. I was so jacked up. We could have played at 3 a.m. Like it would not have mattered what time we played. Um, but I would say I, I didn't love, you know, the Notre Dame having to play the Notre Dame game at nine. I think it was at like nine. Um, you just have to wait around all day. And someone like me who just gets very antsy and just like could play at 3 a.m., like it's a long wait. Um, so playing in the tournament at, at noon, or I think we played at like 1240, I think that's way better. Um, you don't have to wait around. First game, like I don't care who's watching. Like everyone's taking off Thursday and Friday. Anybody who loves basketball, they're calling in sick. They're they're making up some reason not to go to work. Or if they're at work, they have it on TV watching it anyway. So I didn't really care, except I just did not want to have to wait around, you know, all day. Um, and I think we did for Marquette as well. I think that was another late game. Might have been – I think it was another, like, 9 p.m. I think we played after Louisville, Colorado State, if I remember correctly. So give me 12 o'clock games in the in-state tournament, but give me 7 o'clock games throughout the regular season. I mean, you got to think about it as well. These are college kids. Obviously, you're probably jacked up, antsy, even as a 30-plus-year-old. But yeah. when you're 19, 20, 21 years old, it's it's totally understandable. So Shark had mentioned that Notre Dame game, and I'm going to ask you this quick question. But, yeah. Alex, I will let you know, the Shark has this Rain Man quality almost yep. of being able to identify and and remember which part of the bracket each yep. game was played. Shark, can you give us Butler-Notre Dame? I mean, that, that's easy. That's top left on the bottom yep. section of that one right there. Yeah. Yep. Six, six, three, right? You guys were the six seed. They were the three seed. That is correct. Yep. Yeah. And then I I'll, I'll let, yeah, I'll let my co-host here, you know, kind of walk you through that one. Cause it, that, that was one of the more, 
uh, incredible games I recall seeing in the past decade, and just because of the how hard both teams are playing. And you have two great coaches as well going at it, but I, yeah. I will leave it there. No, the shark's right. I, I would implore any of our listeners to tweet at the shark, any matchups from any year of the tournament. I promise this was not some sort of layup alley-oop that we researched just to have on the broadcast. The guy does have this insane quality of being able to identify those matchups in the regions, but that Notre Dame game, you had mentioned one of your former teammates already, Roosevelt Jones. Yeah. Do you remember the quote that he had given to the media about going into that game? Because he was really no. hurt. Yeah, was, yeah. I mean, I remember he was hurt. Yeah, I don't remember what he said. I think he basically said something to the effect of they'd have to tackle me to not play on this court. And Roosevelt yeah, Jones like is – yeah, he's he's another guy that was a cult hero for us. Can you talk yeah. to us a little bit about the locker room going into that game, seeing one of your leaders – gutting it out. Tell us about the buildup to that game and the game itself. Yeah. So another one where, you know, uh, we played Texas in the first round early game. Um, Rose got hurt during the game. Everyone picked Texas. Um, you know, I remember our, our assistant coach, Terry Johnson come in after the draw. He, you know, I was shooting, um, maybe like 11 after the draw and he comes in, he goes bar. I don't know. Like they shouldn't score 50 points. They should not score 50 points. Like, talking about Texas and they had Miles Turner. They had um, Isaiah Taylor who played in the league. They had some, they had some guys and Rose gets hurt and he was really our only physical presence that could kind of play with those guys. I mean, the rest of us were at a physical disadvantage for the most part. And we gutted it out. Um, Rose played, I think came back in that game, gutted it out and, and won. And Northeastern had a chance to beat Notre Dame. The same, very similar to Davidson and Marquette and Notre Dame won. And, you know, anytime you get to play an in-state school, because we don't play them ever in the crossroads. Um, so it was like, like, all right, let's go. Like, they're really good. I think they won the ACC tournament that year. Um, yeah, Rose, Rose told us all the time he was playing. Like, there, there were times throughout the year that, you know, a lot of us were banged up with stuff that, you know, would have been tough to, to play with normally. But we knew that we weren't very deep that year. And if one of us sat out up for other, something other than, like, broken – bones and you couldn't play um you know we knew we had to play and, and there was never a doubt rose was going to play um and he played really really well like he gutted it out played ridiculously well um you know obviously we just as a team just you know couldn't score quite enough points to beat him you know we we played great defense held him well under their season average we just couldn't muster up enough offense to to win the game in regulation has anyone ever told you that your college game is extremely similar and you're a very similar type of player as Joe Missoula was when he was at West Virginia? Uh, so I watched, I mean, I, I watched Joe growing up, right? I mean, I remember, remember the West Virginia teams, um, obviously hugs was at Cincinnati when, I mean, I used to be a ball boy for Cincinnati um, every now and then, you know, once or twice a year, you know, through, through my dad worked at Pepsi and they had a box and a bunch of people, my dad knew new hugs. And so I was a ball boy. So I grew up, watching those West Virginia teams. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess you could say our styles were similar. Uh, Joe was a much, much better player. Um, obviously played in, in the real Big East um, or the original Big East, however, you know, whatever you want to call it um, with, you know, the Blue Bloods. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I could see the similarities in terms of style. Well, of play, but I want to know if anyone's ever. Player. Has I, anyone ever said that? No. no. All right. Well, I, I want to take credit for that one right there. And I want to give you more credit because your stats are very similar as well yeah. in terms of points per game, steals per yeah. game. You were obviously an extremely tight defensive player, very yeah. active hands, 
just a just a borderline pest anytime you're out there. Joe was an extremely tough player, got big shots every single time the team needed it. You were very yeah. similar in that regard as well. So I'm just yeah. throwing that one over you. you. You can take it. You guys are both obviously in very similar roles right now within yeah. the same organization. So maybe Brad has an idea about the type of guys that he wants to identify to, uh, you know, coach young men and coach professional ball players. Yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, I do like when we play pickup now, there's, you know, there's a lot of, there's some physicality when we play pickup between everybody, but it, I think it's because a lot of us, you know, the guys that are on the staff, that's how we play. I mean, that's the only way we can be successful in college and it's hard to turn that off. It just really is. Missoula was working up a lather 45 minutes before tip, apparently uh, 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 against the Sixers. Charles, Charles Barkley was like, man, you've been there since 8 AM. You're going to fall asleep (laughs) at halftime. No, they, so they play, they play staff pickup pretty much uh, before every home game. Um, it's not, it, it, it ends up being like three and a half hours before, before everyone gets there to shoot. But those games are competitive. Um, like I said, when, when I was talking about like, I hate to lose or I love to win, however you want to look at it. Um, Joe's, Joe's cut from the same cloth. Like he wants to win. He doesn't care what he has to do or how he has to win. Um, he's going to find a way to win. And that's why I think, you know, he's going to do a great job and be super successful um, with the Celts this year. Absolutely. So we talk about your relationship with Joe, two other guys that we need to go a little bit more in depth on that you have a relationship with Brad Stevens and Chris Holtman. Now let's not yep. forget that you also played for Chris Holtman, who's doing yep. a terrific job at Ohio state, certainly looking for that first tournament win at Ohio state, but Chris Holtman is a very good college basketball coach. Can you give our audience an in-depth look into what these guys are like as college coaches? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say they're, they're, they're pretty similar in terms of like um, style. Now I don't want to say like they're, they're the same cause they're not, they are, they have their different strengths, but you know, Brad, for example, is very, you know, he's unbelievable, unbelievably smart. I mean, the best I've ever seen at game plans, the best I've ever seen at adjustments on the whiteboard. I mean, there were times we would have game plans and, you're just like, how does he even like, how does he even think of this? Like, this is like, and when we're in college, we're like, I've never seen anything like this. Um, and he was a guy that, you know, was obviously a little quieter, but you know, every now and then would light a fire under you. Um, and then Holt's more of, you know, you know, still good with all the X's and O's and stuff. But he's more of like a relation, a huge relationship guy. Like, I mean, when we hired Holtman as an assistant, my junior year after Brad left and Brandon Miller took over, like he was my position coach. We'd always talk. I remember when we were in Australia three weeks after we hired him, I felt like I'd known him for two years. Like he'd been there my whole time at Butler. Um, he's definitely a little fire, more fiery than Brad. Um, got after us a little bit more. Um, and part of that might've been because the year before we were so bad, we were 14 and 17 and, and we just had a year of bad body language, a losing mindset. Um, but they're both high, high, high level coaches. Um, I think the, some of the criticism Holt gets at Ohio state is, you know, with the tournament is completely, you know, unfair. Um, you know, the tournament for us was always get in the tournament and then it's all about your draw. Like you can't control your draw. You just got to get there and then hope you get the right draw because college is so matchup driven. Um, you know, they get unlucky and play maybe the best 15 seed ever in oral Roberts. I mean, I know St. Peter's went to the elite eight this year and you can make an argument for that, but that oral Roberts team had some, guys are going to make a lot, a lot of money playing professional basketball. Um, and then they're, they're missing Kyle Young that game, who was their heart and soul. Um, 
but they're both like high, high level coaches. Um, you know, two guys, I think that, you know, Brad obviously was super successful and Holt's going to have a ton of success in the future. Um, and, you know, I would run through a brick wall for, for both of those guys. Like when I was playing, that's, that's how they kind of make me felt as a player. To go back on my uh, Cincinnati Inquirer research that I had beforehand, yeah. um, w- within that same article, you you have a quote in there, and you're talking about how you want to be a coach. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier on this, but you weren't itching really to get back to the college game because of yeah. everything that's going on in college. What is it about yeah. college that that is somewhat of a deterrent, or has that changed in the several years since that came out? Because I think that was 2017 or so. Obviously, the world's entirely different in terms of NIL now, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just think like, you know, I'm always trying to be where my feet are, always trying to be present. Um, you know, would I go back to college? Sure. I mean, there's always a, a chance that I would. I wouldn't say like, hey, I'm actively looking to get back into the college game, um, you know, because I'm, I'm happy where I am here. You know, I'm obviously super excited for this opportunity up here in Maine. Um, but just, you know, some of the things in college that you mentioned, the NIL, it's, it's just new, um, the transfer portal is still relatively new. Um, there's just some things that like, I think that the kinks have to be kind of ironed out a bit. Um, because I mean, you, you recruit a guy, you know, if you go to a low major, you recruit a guy and he's good, he's just going to transfer up. You recruit a kid who, who you view as like a four year player. That's going to take some time to develop at a high major. That was a, you know, pretty highly ranked recruit. He doesn't play his freshman year. He might be ready to leave. Right. And there's, you know, there's no penalty for them having to sit out. So, some of those things I just think are going to take some time. Um, back then when I said it, it was probably just like I'd never dealt with recruiting. Um, everyone I talked to is like, man, recruiting just takes up so much time. Um, but the more time I've spent in the G League, the more I've enjoyed um, building the relationships with players and trying to help impact them to get to their next stop, which is a little bit you know, more like college than, than it necessarily is in the NBA. Um, so, yeah, when I go back to college, I think, you know, at some point I could, but right now I'm so, you know, so happy and excited where I'm at that I'm not even given that really two thoughts. Well, Brad Stevens recruiting of you was probably not falling into the category that you just described. I mean, you, you were ready to show up and practice that afternoon. It didn't take much. <laughs> yeah. If, if every recruiting battle was like that, I think a lot more coaches would go back to college. Some of the trajectory of the names that we've mentioned is really, really awesome, right? Yours, we've we've touched on it. Brad yeah. now in a front office role after stopping at a college basketball stop, head coach, NBA head coach. Roosevelt Jones, I think, just uh, took uh, this past offseason, he took an assistant coaching role uh, somewhere. The, the team is escaping me, but Evansville. Evansville, thank you. Yeah. 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 So Ro- Roosevelt Jones is there. So all of these all of these stops are are really cool. And, and this, this trajectory has been really neat to discuss with you, Alex. I want to take it back though, when you were a player yep. and you have the meeting, I'd assume a meeting with Brad Stevens and the yeah. discussion, what was it like when he first told you that he's going to the NBA? Oh, yeah. So, um, so it was camp season. So July 3rd, uh, 2013, it's my 21st birthday. Right. Um, I don't, I don't drink. I like, I didn't go out the night before. I just, I just never have, um, still don't. And I remember that morning, Mike Lou, who's now the head coach at ball state for whatever reason, the day before he was angry at me and made me work out at five 30 in the morning, an individual. Um, so it was the last day of camp for the summer guys were leaving to go out of town. Um, 
that that evening and going to have like four days off, right? I think it was a Thursday. We'd have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, be back Monday night. And we got like a text like, hey, meeting at 530, you know, must be there. We're like, okay, this is just a normal stay safe. Don't do anything dumb that can cost the team, yada, yada, yada. And as we walk in, we're all sitting there talking like, oh, you know, what are we going to say? Where are you guys going? You know, where are you heading? Whatever. And you could just tell like right before it, something seemed a little off. Like Brad wasn't in there. Him and Tracy were like kind of pacing in the hallways waiting to come in. And, you know, Brad comes in and he's just like, you know, you could see his face was red. His eyes were red. It was like, something's not right. Um, and he just goes, hey, like, you know, just fighting back tears. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be your guys' coach next year. And at that time, Chuck Pagano had gone through all his cancer stuff in Indy. And my first thought was like, who's sick? Like, is Tracy sick? Is Brad sick? Is, is one of the kids sick? Like, that's the first thing that came to my mind. I, him leaving was the furthest thing from my, my thoughts. And he goes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go coach the Boston Celtics. And I'm just like, say what? Like, like, how did this not get out? Like everything, you know, Woj is tweeting everything these days. And you could just tell how much it hurt him. He, he was just like, I was, I'm never, I was never going to leave this place for another job, a uh, college job. Um, you know, the NBA is just a new experience that I want to try something that intrigues me. Um, you know, I, I, I love and appreciate everything you guys have done, everything this program's done for me, this, this university. Um, and then while he's talking, everyone's phones are just blowing up because they basically released it right as the meeting started. He did not want that to get out. Um, at all. Like he didn't want us to find out from anybody else. Um, and then it was a mad dash for him to get to like this space away from the basketball arena where we could then go talk to him privately because the media was coming. I mean, there was trucks and reporters within 15 minutes, like the parking lot was flooded. And so then we all went and met with him at a, at a location. They never would have found him out. And then he left for, I think Boston the next morning. And uh, he was back maybe like a day or two later to get some stuff. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a surprise. Um, but we totally understood where he was coming from. And I mean, it's the Boston Celtics, right? Like, I mean, you can't like, how would you say no? Like, I mean, how do you say no to that? I, I don't, I don't think anybody could. Yeah. Wow. What a story. That, thank you for sharing all yeah. of that in detail. I, I got, I got chills on my arms there. That's, that's insane. And shark, I'm trying to remember when, when doc, cause obviously he succeeded doc, right? I don't think there was yeah. any sort of interim there. So when doc leaves, was there any sort of scuttlebutt or any momentum picking up about, Hey, Brad Stevens from Butler. Cause Brad Stevens is a pretty well-known guy at this point, but in terms of, in terms of NBA head coaching, I'm trying to remember shark. Was there any momentum about Brad Stevens? Not at all. It was, it was, it was a left field one right there. So, you know, from your perspective, Alex, obviously that was a shocker to you. It was a shocker to tons of Boston Celtics fans as well when it happened. And I think everyone was very happy that it did occur as well. So, yeah. Yeah. He's big on, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's the same thing with the Celtics. Like he's very big on keeping everything in house quiet, um, you know, no sources, like don't be a source, you know, if, if you can't say it, and put your name behind it. Don't say it. Um, so it now having worked with him for eight years now, I can see how that was kept 
under wraps. Yeah. Shark, I'll, I'll get to you just in one second, but I do think it speaks to the maturity level of you and your teammates. Of course, yes, you say, well, it's the Boston Celtics. Almost any college player would say, hey, hug for you, best of luck. But yeah. again, college kids are young, emotional. They pour their heart and soul out for this coach, and it's easy for them and understandable, I yeah. would say, understandable if they were upset. But I think it does speak to your maturity level. And now sitting in, in the spot that you're sitting at, a, a head coach, right? I think I would assume that you have some sort of connection and you can sort of say to yourself, all right, 10 years ago, that's got to be a difficult thing for Brad to do. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it, it just was like, I can only imagine how hard it was because we we literally just gotten six freshmen on campus Um seven days prior, eight days prior that he recruited. It's like, I, he, I mean, he's like, I got to leave these kids. I literally just got here on campus and told their families and all this, like, like, I mean, I can only imagine. Um, but the, the, the great thing about Brad is like, you know, we heard from him. Obviously he was swarmed with the whole Celtic stuff. And they went to summer league. He's trying to get all up to speed, but he's still, you know, if we called him or text him, like he responded, you know, he, he checked in on us to make sure we were doing okay. I mean, that's just who he is as a person. Um, and I, I, and to be honest, I don't think a lot of coaches would do that. I think you guys watch a, enough college basketball to see that sometimes when coaches leave, there's a lot of bad blood. Um, and there was, there was none of that. Like now we, I'd be sitting here lying to say like, we weren't like, dang, like, man, this sucks. I mean, I remember driving back to Ohio after that, just like, damn, like we're going to be really good this year. And we just lost arguably the best coach in college basketball. Um, but I mean, I just think, you know, he, he did such a good job and, and Butler did such a good job as university of making a quick decision and, you know, letting us know that everything was going to be good. And, and Brad, Brad let us know like, Hey, whoever they hire, they're going to be really good. And you guys are going to still be successful. Like this program and university is bigger than, than me. Um, and that, that helped a ton. And he was right too, because two years later, you guys were in that Sweet 16 for that Notre Dame game, right? So, yeah, he, he was right. And, and you know, I, I, one point you just said that is correct. We do watch a lot of college basketball, probably way too much for our wives um, to appreciate us as much. But um, one thing I wanted to ask you, and I weren't, want to know how generally self aware you were when you were in your senior year. Um, you probably you're you're a college hoops fan, so you know yeah. those guys that hang around for college for a very long period of time. It's like, oh my yeah. gosh, that guy is still in college. When we were growing up, the perfect example was Perry Ellis on Kansas. Like he, he yeah. has been there for a decade at this point. Another Butler one, um, Matt Howard. He was there yeah. for forever before your yeah. time. You know, Howard could have been, you know, collecting a paycheck by the end of it. Even right now, John Fulkerson, I'm a Tennessee fan. He's been there yeah. for almost more than six years. Yeah, you were there for four years. You were very relevant yeah. as a sophomore. You're making the tournament twice. Everyone's like, yeah. "Who is this little white guy playing point guard for Butler that is yeah. making all the huge plays in every single game?" When you were in your senior year, did you ever step back and think, "Do people think of me as this guy that's just been in college for so long, and are they sick of me at this point?" Yeah, I never, never really thought like, "Hey, maybe you know um, that I've been there so long," but definitely like the. You know, just because the way I play, I mean, I was very animated. Um, I wasn't afraid to disagree with the refs. Um, you know, I would draw charges. You know, I think you look at the guys in, in college basketball that draw a ton of charges, and hopefully at some point they change the charge rule because it's brutal. But, um, 
you know, I was just taking advantage of the rules. I'm sure that annoyed people. Like I no doubt 100% believe people would be annoyed of opposing teams because I would just, I was just a pest and annoying and flop and, but Hey, like I had to do that to be successful. So I was going to do it. Um, but no, not, not in the sense of like, people are like, damn, this guy's been here for seven years. It feels like now I never, I never really felt like that. Um, as much as I did, man, people were like annoyed with, with how I played on opposing teams. Honestly, if you had one more year, I think that would have been the national sentiment around you. I do agree. You didn't reach that threshold of being like, all right, this guy's Van Wilder over here at this point, sticking around for way too long. But, you know, you, 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 you were the, the other um, reputation. I think you certainly did uphold. Yeah. So post Butler playing career. Okay. Alex, take us through the steps of how you got to where you are currently. Yeah. So um, when I was a senior, we played in the Bahamas and um, you know, at this point in time, I was like starting to warm up to the idea after watching more NBA following Brad um, and the Celtics um, warming up to the idea of going to the NBA and, and starting my coaching career there. And I, you know, reached out to Brad and was like, Hey, I want to potentially work with the Celtics next year. What's the best way to go about this? And he goes, Hey, uh, Danny is going to be in the Bahamas. When you guys play, you should try to meet up with him. I said, all right, great. You know, definitely will. I'll look for him. Um, he's like, I'll let him know, you know, you're, you're looking to meet with him. So we play North Carolina, beat him the first game. And I see Danny walking to get food. And I was like, I turned to my dad. I was like, that's Danny Ainge, right? Like just making sure. He's like, yeah. And I was like, so I just went up to him, started talking to him. And, you know, for those who know Danny, he's the nicest, most caring, like big jokester of a guy. And he just puts his arm around me. Like we were lifelong friends. I just met him. And uh, he's just like, Hey brother, how you doing? And we just talked for like 10 or 15 minutes. And then every morning I would run into him in the lobby and we would sit and talk for 10 or 15 minutes. And, um, so fast forward during the season, um, you know, he would text me after a couple games, Hey, I watched your game tonight. Um, thought you played well, you know, big time shot, whatever. Um, so then, you know, we lose in the tournament. I had interviewed with the Pistons for like a summer internship. Um, cause my buddy was the video coordinator, TJ Saint, who's was at Butler. Now he's the uh, G league coach for the Pelicans. And he basically said, Hey, interview for this you're likely going to get it. And then it'll turn into a full-time video spot after the summer. And so I called Brad and said, Hey, this is kind of where I'm at. He said, cool. Call Danny, like call Danny and and talk to him. Like, you know, it's between you guys. So called Danny and just said, Hey, um, I want to work for the Celtics. Um, I think the Pistons are going to offer me something. Um, but if I'm going to do the NBA, I want to be with you guys in Boston. And he was just like, Hey, um, love to have you. Um, not sure what your role will, role will be, not sure any of that, but if you want to come work for us, show up, you know, June 1st and we'll figure out what your role is before then. Um, no idea what I was going to get paid, no idea any of that. And ironically enough, Ron Norad took the Northern Kentucky assistant job, which kind of bumped up everybody and opened up a video spot for me. And I did video for two years, um, spent a year in the G League as an associate head coach, bounced back to work with Rob Williams his rookie year back to the G league as an assist, uh, associate head coach um, during the year COVID hit. And then we didn't send a team to the bubble. Um, so I just was basically like the COVID 
um, reconditioning coordinator, you know, when guys got COVID and were coming back, I'd work them out, get them back in shape for two or three days along with the, you know, strength team. I do the court stuff. Um, and then last year I was in Maine, you know, as associate head coach again, and, and now I'm the head coach. So it, uh, been bouncing around a bit throughout the organization, but it's, it's been good for my development to, um, kind of see all, you know, all aspects. On that main point, how you like in Portland? Portland's great, man. Love it. Uh, great food. Um, the fans up here are some of the best in the G League. Um, we've had two nice weather days in a row, which is great <laughs> at this point of the year because um, the cold and the dark is coming. But, I, I mean, I really love Portland as a city. Um, you know, it's just it's just a lot of, you know, there's a lot of good things about it, um, and it's a little bit smaller. So we got just a few more questions for yep. you, Alex. This has been amazing, but I'm very curious to know now – the G league. Okay. There've been yeah. a lot of great success stories coming from the G league. Most recently one, Mr. Jordan Poole just got paid 140 million yeah. and he's a G league alum. Yeah. I'm curious to know because everyone always talks about the discrepancy from jumping from college to the NBA. But I think a yeah. lot of people always forget that intermediate step of the G league. Is there sort of what can you describe the discrepancy from college to G league yeah. to NBA? Yeah, so we when I was in college, we uh, TJ Sin, who I was just mentioning, he would be like, "If we played the Pacers tomorrow, how bad would they beat us?" Like he would always ask these hypotheticals, and we used to be like 50, 60. So like I mean, they would kill us. They would beat us so bad. Um, I mean, I, I think you know if, if the main Celtics played the best team in college basketball. I mean, I would guess that we win by 20, 25 points. Um, it, it, I mean, you just you just get to focus on basketball full time, right? Like, you know, today we've got three players in for early workouts before the season gets going, and we got six coaches on the court. Like, I mean, and they're they're doing forty minutes of like hard workouts with six coaches, us guarding them, them making decisions, them making reads, them shooting versus defense, like coaches. And like a lot of times that'll be like the warm up to practice and then you'll practice and then they'll lift. And then they get, you know, they go home and they sleep and they get massages and like college, you got to go to class. Um, you have a limit on the number of hours you can work out. Um, and I just think it's, you know, as you get up, the coaches are typically better in, in the professional ranks and the college rates in terms of developing guys. Um, you know, there's a lot of good college coaches, but it's just a diff- it's a little bit different game. Um, and then I would say the best NBA team is, or even maybe the worst NBA team is definitely given, given a 30, 35 point game to, to the best G league team. Like there's, there's a, there's a big discrepancy. Um, but I don't think there's a big discrepancy between like a lot of 13th to 15th men in the NBA and the best G league players. I, I think that discrepancy is very, very small. Um, but like LaMelo ball, for example, or, um, you know, SGA, I mean, he would, they would average 60 a game in the G League. Like it would, it would be a joke, right? And they're on teams that were, I guess, you know, the Thunder were up there last year. Um, you know, Magic were up there. Like those teams would just destroy the G Like it wouldn't be fair. Um, so there, there's a bit, pretty big discrepancy between each level. But I think the one that often gets overlooked is the difference between the end of the bench guys and the best, and like the, the top end guys in the G League. Like that's not a big, there's not a big discrepancy there. 
Makes total sense. And I hadn't even thought about that either. So you're right. It's certainly overlooked. All right. A few last quick hitters. Thad yep. Mata's your head coach now at Butler yep. at your alma mater. Do you ever yep. think Thad Mata would be roaming the sidelines at Butler? What do you think about the hire? Great hire. Um, love it. Um, happy to have Thad. Um, that I think he'd be coaching there again. Only if if uh, they made a coaching change, I thought there was a chance um, because I mean he he he's had what five years off, four years off. So I, I think he's feeling great um, from my conversations with him. He's he's motivated, and I think they'll be I think they'll be very good this year. I think they're being slept on a bit. Um, I think they were just p- picked to finish eighth. I would expect them to finish higher than eighth. There's some sort of synergy between Ohio State and, and Butler. Holtman going from Butler yep. to Ohio State. That mod of the great at, at Ohio State now at Butler. Very interesting to see. Hey, my brother-in-law won't shut up about Ohio and its wings. He says Ohio yep. has the best wings in the country. He yep. says Southwest Ohio has the best wings in all of Ohio. Yep. What's, what's your favorite wing spot? In Ohio? Uh, Frickers. Got to go Frickers. Um, their barbecue little kicker. Chicken wings, very good. Um, Roosters is solid. They're like, I think, brothers that started the same business and then broke off. Um, I personally like, I mean, if you're talking Southwest Ohio, I think the best thing is to come from there is Grater's ice cream. I mean, I think it's the best ice cream I've had. Um, My people in Indy are now getting to taste it as there's one right down the street from Butler and it's packed every time I go there when I'm in Indy. but yeah, chicken wings, frickers all day of the week for me in uh, Springboro when I go home. I love it. My nephew's turning two. I'm going to be down in Lebanon, Ohio. Graders, yep. I'm going to ask because they live right by UDF. So we always just go to UDF. All right. Uh, yeah, I see that face. So they live right by the UDF next to the junior high. I, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. I, I hadn't really noticed the uh, the junior high. So so UDF, like not to get too far off the college basketball, but UDF milkshakes, they're good. Like they're they're good, but... Grater's ice cream is just, I mean, it's that and the roses. Um, when I go home, those are the two stops every time. The roses and Grater's ice cream. Shark, don't don't worry about this. This is this is Southwest Ohio men right here. Right? I'm just picturing your face walking into two different ice cream places and getting one of each and you know, going back wherever it is you go, Subi. You gotta you gotta sample the local fare, man. Uh okay. Toughest environment you've played in. Creighton, my junior year, dollar beer night. They had Doug McDermott. He had 25 in the first half. The Butler Bulldogs, I believe, had 25 in the first half. 18,000 people, people drinking dollar beer. It was it was not pretty. Not pretty at all. And second would be VCU, my sophomore year, though it was smaller. Um, yeah, it was ugly. They beat us by 40. Noon tip on ESPN. Havoc was real back then, and it was – they were walking in off the bus. It was we were getting it. It was it was tough. Those two were really really tough to play in. If only it was a noon game during the NCAA tournament. That that's not going to happen right there on a new on a neutral court. Night games uh, during the regular season. Noon during the March Madness. That's what you like, right? Yeah, VCU might have uh, <laughs> styles of play were just not. <laughs> they did not match up with how we played. It was a bad <laughs> bad matchup for us. <laughs> Oh, that is putting it lightly. That's funny. Uh, let's go to the flip side. Worst environment. I'm talking, Alex, you walk in, it's yeah. dead. The The band's not even playing. There's 25 people in the stadiums. You can't even get juiced up. Uh, freshman have to be somewhere in the horizon. Um, Cleveland State played an 11 a.m. tip there in like a 
seven, 8,000 seat arena. And there might've been like 200 people. I can't remember. It was, it was bad. Um, big East, there was none like the bigger schools. There was really none. Um, I mean, Cleveland state was just, it's not their fault. Like they play in a big arena. Um, I'd rather play like in a small arena with less fans that feels more full than, you know, a big arena, but that one was tough. It was tough for everybody. 11 AM tip. Um, and it was like eight degrees outside. It was like a blizzard. Um, yeah, that was not a good environment. Shark and I are on your roster. We're up three, seven seconds left. Opponent yeah. has the ball at half court. We foul on up three or no? Absolutely. Thank no, God. no, no. Thank you. We, we <laughs> lost a game my junior year um, versus LSU. Up three, didn't foul. Um, I was a big believer in fouling then, and, and that did nothing but, you know, convince me. Um, now I have seen the – Celtics have done it, foul three or down four, miss a free throw, hit a three to tie it. So you could lose doing that way, but I'm going to foul, foul up three every time. Well, that's a risky question. I'm glad you answered that the right way. It would have really just lost all the equity we just built up with you right there, but I'm, I'm glad it worked out. Well, so Alex, the, the inspiration for that question, actually, yeah. Shark, uh, he doesn't know this, but I always ask the best environment question literally yeah. the last three times. And it makes sense. But the last three guests that we've had, they've gone to Kansas. They said, Allen really? Fieldhouse. Oh, I mean, I, I believe it. Right. That that shouldn't yeah. surprise anyone. So I'm saying to myself, what's a what's a question that I can you know create some friction on, maybe get some yeah. differing views. So yeah. uh, we do agree with you on that. And I'll get you out of here on this, Alex. You've yeah. been amazing. Is there anyone that you can recommend, you can refer us to, that we reach out to, get them on this podcast and and share some incredible stories like you have? We call it bring them up on stage. Ooh, college players. Let me think about that for a second. Um, Doesn't even have to be college players. Literally yeah. any colleague that you may know that has college basketball stories. So I think I think Tyler Lewis would be a good one. Um, you know, he obviously has a, a bit of a unique journey. Um, Mickey D's kid, Carolina state transferred to Butler, um, got into coaching. Dad runs a recruiting service in, in, uh, the Carolinas. Um, so I'm sure he has some really good stories. Um, I'm trying to think of other guys, non-Butler people. Um, Matt Carlino, I'm sure he has some stories, um, did the did the three point contest with Matt? Um, was he the BYU yeah. guy? He was Indiana, UCLA, BYU, Marquette. Um, but he is a great dude. Um, I'm sure he has some great stories. I mean, I haven't, I probably haven't talked to him in a couple of years. But I mean, when we we did the three point contest together, um, and then probably like Pat Connaughton, probably, but you know, he's a bit bigger guest, but, you know, enjoyed my time with him at the three point contest as well. He would probably have some great, great stories about playing both sports, being drafted in both sports, you know, moving teams in the NBA. Now he's, you know, a key piece on a, on a, you know, championship competing team. Um, those are probably be the three that come to mind that, you know, I've spent time with um, and they all have, you know, kind of unique, you know, they're not just like me played, played one, one school. They all played multiple places or did multiple sports, which, which always gives, you know, an interesting insight.
Terrific stuff. Well, we have each other's numbers. If any other names pop up, feel free to yeah. let me know. Pat Connaughton would be amazing. Massachusetts kid. And again, yeah. this speaks to your maturity, Alex, and clearly how great of a guy you are to enjoy your time with him at the three-point competition, uh, despite being knocked out by that. I think Pat Connaughton was on that Notre Dame team, right? Yeah, it was, it was actually the three-point contest was was interesting. Um, it was at Hinkle. I was by far the worst shooter in it. Um I basically got in it because I asked because we were playing in Hinkle. I was like, you know, we might be able to sell a few more tickets if, if I come. Um, so Con- I beat Connaughton, got revenge for the tournament, which I'd obviously trade the tournament for the three point. And then Pangos, who we beat at Hinkle in that crazy college game day buzzer beater, he ended up nudging me in the finals by a point. So it was like everybody got their revenge, and we all were like, yeah, I would rather just have won the first game and not needed the revenge. So, um, no, it, it was interesting. Like it was like two weeks later and it was like the game never happened. We were just never talked about it. Just went on with, with life and, and talked about everything else. Amazing stuff, Alex. Thank you so much for jumping onto the program. Your stories yeah. were, were truly, truly amazing. And, and we're going to remember this one for quite some time, Alex, best of luck this upcoming season. We're going to be watching you. We're going to be looking at some of the players that may move up to the, to the Celtics. So thank you again, Alex. Uh, and we will catch you next time. All right. Thanks guys for having me. It was a lot of fun. All right. We want to thank coach Barlow for jumping onto the program. Like I said, in the intro, just amazing stories. I think the Brad Stevens story, when he tells them that he's leaving for the Celtics moved me the most, you want to talk about moving pictures, moving movies, moving plays, moving theater. That obviously was not fabricated. It was not made up, but that whole story was, was amazing and was so wild to hear. I can only imagine the hullabaloo that Alex was talking about uh, following that, ha- having to basically go to a undisclosed location so that Brad could talk to his team on a one-to-one basis. It was madness. I'm sure it was madness there in Indianapolis. And we're so grateful and thankful for Alex Barlow to jump on and, and really be transparent and open up and share those stories. So thank you again to Alex Barlow shark. Let's get out of here on just two quick ones. Uh, first and foremost, have you heard this? Have you seen this? There's some scuttlebutt about expanding the NCAA tournament. Coach Dennis Gates at Missouri is saying he wants to expand Greg Sankey, who your boy, your sec boy, he wants to expand to bloat and make more money. And this was, this was almost like an Etu Brute moment, but it was really Etu Scott. Scott Drew. Actually, what am I doing? Etu Brute, Etu Drew. Etu Drew. He wants oh. 60 more teams. Scott Drew wants 60 more teams in this NCAA tournament field. Where the hell am I, father? Yeah, I, I think people tend to be very dramatic, especially nowadays in terms of all the things going on in the world, you know, whether it's public health related, whether it's inflation, you know, social components of this. If we were to expand the NCAA tournament to add another 60 teams, I think we as a civilization are completely doomed. So I'm with you. You can look at the motivation. Sankey, clearly it's financially driven. He wants to make sure like Vanderbilt can make the tournament every single year. Um, Who was the team mentioned? Uh, Cleveland State. Uh, or, well, former, or Colorado State. State. No, no, no. Dennis Gates used to. Oh, Dennis Gates. All right. Yeah. No, yeah. Currently, I'm yeah. Well, yeah, because you know, he probably wants to help out 
you know, the programs that he went through because, you know, Cleveland State is not going to make the tournament very often. And, you know, it's just an opportunity for those smaller schools to get in. But really the smaller school journey, the smaller school allure that that only exists because they've earned their opportunity to dance at the party. You know, so you got to earn your way there. We're not just going to hand out free invites for a bunch of, you know, random people to show up and potentially have a great afternoon or a great, a great journey while you're there. You got to earn your way there. Drew, I, I can't speak to that motivation right there. That's <laughs> Don't make any sense. You're a national yeah. champion. You got yeah. a juggernaut there at Baylor. Uh, many asking Shark if the SEC is ruining college basketball with the Dennis Gates commentary at, at Missouri and Greg Sankey as well. I'll, I'll let you discuss that at a later date, but it's just mind blowing to me. And you're right. This is like inviting too many people to your party. Okay. You invite those. It's like you got that, a super, yeah, it's like a Super Bowl party and you got like one couch, you got one chair, and then you got 15 people in the back row. It just doesn't work out. People are talking over the commercials. It's no good. Well, it's that, but also you're a commissioner of, of the bracket, right? When, yes. when selection Sunday comes out, you say, guys, get your guys, get your guys. Okay. And bring them to me. And then you might do a little bit of a vet, a vet process. Actually, Taylor referred a guy last year who had a genuinely, I mean, we don't get appalled by much, but this was just a terrible name that he had in the bracket and the shark had to excommunicate him. Yeah. He said, change the name or get the hell out. And so it, it's when you start allowing those guys, it's when you start allowing the fifth place team in a no-name conference into the tournament, that's when the whole thing gets spoiled. You're right. And I don't appreciate you reminding me of that guy that snuck into the bracket last year with that team name. One of the most heinous team names I've ever seen. But, yes, you're, you're totally right. Your, your analogy is working. I'm with you. Um, or is it a metaphor? It's one of those two, but it, it, it's working. It makes sense. You can't invite too many people in uh, because it dilutes the product. Proper vetting is key. We know what we're getting with Kentucky, Carolina, Duke, Kansas, Tennessee. They're they're well-groomed. They have a good reputation. The reputation precedes them, all right? Those conference tournaments, those are that is the vetting process, all right? And if you want to get in, win those babies, all right? So that's just our two cents. Enough. Enough of the expansion, for the love of God. Let's get out of here on some hugs. I don't want to end this show on a negative note. Shark, you got any hugs? No, I don't. I, I don't know what you're doing. Huh? You got you got you just gave me a no look pass. You haven't delivered a no look pass in the for your entire career. All right. And then you just drop a no look on me for the first time in my lifetime. I'm used to like a very clean bounce pass. I'm going to catch it nice and easily. I'm going to I'm going to know when it's coming. I'm going to know the speed. I'm going to know the tempo. And you're out here doing a no look. And I'm just not ready for the ball. 551 p.m. Central Standard Time. A text to the shark. No problem. Intro will be attorney expansion talk. Now we pivoted from that. I, I, okay. You can read the text. I didn't, the I didn't, you can we read can it to it. me. I didn't read it. <laughs> we can end with quick thoughts on top 25, which we did not do. So I'm still zigs and zagging and hugs. So it was no. I mean, uh, uh, did I respond to that? Yeah, but you didn't acknowledge the hugs part, but you did respond. I, I responded just out of respect, but I didn't actually. Now you know I didn't read that text. If you want to talk top twenty-five, Tennessee's ranked ahead of Arizona. No big deal. Um, but but no, I mean I wasn't. I, I didn't read the text. I was at my I was at my sweat class, man. I gotta get I gotta get my sweat in. Right? So I wasn't paying attention to it. Sorry. Please note that 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 uh, those rankings I should say will be switched 
when Arizona gains its vengeance on Tennessee in Tucson. I will give a hug, though, and that is to our good friend, the Providence Crier. Okay, the Crier, very oh, much like hug. us. Yeah, I know it's a good hug because I'm thoughtful and I think of my other my peers, my colleagues, my friends. The Crier was able to okay. get credentials for Big East Media Day. Amazing work from the crier. He's just like us in our boat, starting this this grassroots podcast. If you haven't listened to it, and if you're a Providence College Friar fan, go listen to his podcast called the Providence Crier Podcast. But Crier was able to get media credentials, go to Big East Media Day, interview a lot of uh, the, the PC roster. I think he was a little too starstruck. Those are his words, not mine. Said he was too starstruck to approach Coach Cooley. Maybe next year. But you know what? Hat tip to him and an amazing job for getting that under his belt, going to MSG and, and doing his thing. I'm happy for the crier. Well done. I will. Can I hug? Can we do a double hug on the crier? I'm happy for him as well. It's easy. I, I, I wanted to, I frequently gang up on him. I think he's insane. I think he is delusional in terms of his Providence fandom, but I love the fact that he was able to pull. In fact, I was making fun of him in the middle of him announcing to me that he had this invitation. So it was almost, I, I he knocked me out, so to speak with this news. So I was happy for him, uh, but nobody deserves a more absolute heathen of a Providence fan. Uh, clearly very committed to, to, you know, loving college basketball, specifically Big East basketball. He's, he's living in a bubble. He doesn't know anything else. Like we were talking Marcus Sasser earlier today. Guy had no clue about how good Marcus Sasser is. So he's kind of a lunatic in that regard but I'm happy that he was able to bust into the uh, national scene here. Uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. He, he, he thinks Marcus Sasser is what like a Kirk Carissa type of impact. Yeah. I feel like incredible, but hug for the crier. Well done. Here's to many more media days and uh, other media events for you and hopefully us to join as well. Shark. Great, great interview today. Great episode. Uh, we'll catch you next time here on theater and college hoops. Thank you.